been making our way through the second of the four Gospels in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. And today uh, we continue this series under the title, Following Jesus, and what I'm going to call Puzzling Parables. It will help to have a Bible. There are Bibles in the pews, and it will help to turn to the Bible. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 1005, 1005. Can't see one, just ask someone to pass one to you. We'll be looking closely at this. The children read it for us very uh, wonderfully. And it's important that we focus on what the scriptures say God's Word. The whole theme of this is about how you listen. And if we're to listen well and understand well, we need God's help. So just before we look at this together, let's just bow in prayer and ask God to help us to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we especially thank you for the word of the gospel, the good news that your son came to bring and that you've preserved the record of it in the scriptures for us. Help us this morning to be those who listen well, who understand clearly and obey what we hear and respond to it wisely. We ask it for your glory. Amen. What is a parable? If you listen to the children when they were reading and Chris was explaining, you'll know that a parable is one of those stories that Jesus told when he was on earth. If you went to Sunday school, you probably learnt that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The word parable is actually a Greek word written in English. The Greek word is parabole, which is made of two parts, It means to put something side by side with something else in order to compare one thing with another. In the Gospel of Mark that we've been studying in our last study last week in chapter 3, verse 23, we read that Jesus spoke to the people in parables. And now today in chapter 4, we have three examples of these parables, three of these stories Jesus told. They're all drawn from agriculture, from the sowing and growth of seeds that are placed in the ground. But why did Jesus use this method of teaching? Well, you say, it's obvious. To help people understand spiritual truths by using stories or things from everyday life. For example, you can say to someone, God is love. But if you tell a story, a parable about a young man who leaves home, wastes all his family fortune, and finally comes back with his tail between his legs, and his father welcomes him freely back, then you understand more clearly, don't you, what God is love is about, by the story that tells you that. That seems so obvious. And yet, if you look closely here at what Jesus says, we're in for a surprise. In Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus tells the first parable, the story of the sower, his disciples, in private, ask him a question. In Matthew's Gospel, we have the exact question word for word. They said, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, notice the answer of Jesus. You've got the Bible in front of you, in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He, Jesus, told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that 
they may ever be seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven it seems as though Jesus is actually saying that the reason he speaks in parables is not to help people understand what he's teaching but to keep them in the dark otherwise they might really understand and change their ways and get forgiven Now these are some of the most difficult verses and difficult sayings of Jesus in the whole of the Bible. What does he mean? It seems very cryptic, doesn't it? It seems counterproductive to everything that Jesus came to do. He came to tell people the truth about God and his message was, repent, change your minds, listen to what I'm saying. So what does he mean when he says parables actually keep people in the dark? Well, look more closely at the context. The theme of these parables, what they're about, is what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. So, for example, if you look along to verse 26, what's called the parable of the growing seed, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And the next parable, the one about the mustard seed, verse 30, again he said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? Everyone who heard Jesus, whether you were a disciple, part of the crowd, one of the religious leaders who didn't like what he was saying, everyone heard the same parables, the same stories about the kingdom of God. But not everyone understood the point of the stories, what they teach about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, this is a secret or it's a mystery, which means something that only God can let you in on this secret, this mystery. And Jesus tells his followers, you've been let in on the secret. But to those on the outside, outside the kingdom, all they hear is these stories. And they go away and say, great story. It's a bit like in Charlotte Chapel, you know, someone stands up one week and they give a great children's story, you know, and they tell this fantastic story and everybody goes out and says, wasn't that a great story? And next week, uh, you meet someone and say, did you hear so-and-so's children's talk in Charlotte Chapel? And then they say, this is what it was about. And you tell them the story and then they say, well, what was it supposed to illustrate? They say, I can't remember, but it's a great story. Now, believe me, that happens more than often in Charlotte Chapel. And the problem lies not with the story, but with the hearer. And Jesus says, when people hear his parables, some of them never really understand. They never enter the kingdom of God. They stay on the outside. They never change their lives. They never experience God's forgiveness. And Jesus says these words are kind of ironic or sad. In fact, if you look at verse 12 there, it's actually a quote from the Old Testament. If you've got a new international version, there's a little footnote and it says Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. This, Jesus is quoting what the Lord said to Isaiah, who was a great prophet, and the Lord called him to go and preach to the people of Israel. And God said to him, Isaiah, I've got a job for you. I want you to tell these people my word, and I've got bad news for you. Hardly anybody will believe what you say. In fact, over 90% won't pay a blind bit of attention. And that's what the quotation is here. So Jesus presents these parables, these stories, they present people with a choice. In other words, he doesn't force you into his kingdom. He doesn't say, this is it, 
And you've got to believe it. There's no choice. He said, these are these stories. If you're really interested, you can find out more. And the more you find, the more you'll get, we'll see. But if you don't, you'll just stand the outside and say, great story, great sermon. Recommended various books on, on Mark's Gospel. This morning I'm going to be quoting several times from the New International Application Commentary. You can get it from Wesley Owen if you're really interested in Mark's Gospel. It's actually an excellent commentary, particularly on this chapter. It's written by a man called David Garland. And he speaks about the divisive effect of the parables. This is what he says. His, that's Jesus' enigmatic teaching, served to separate those who were curious from those who were serious. Those who were seeking only a religious sideshow from those who were seeking after God. So instead of these parables, as most people think, being simple stories or simply stories, they are, in the words of our title, they are puzzling parables. You've got to work at it to get the meaning. And even as I say this, I'm aware, as every preacher needs to be aware, is that there are some people who already, your minds, the shutters are going down. Some of you see it, others are good at acting and they're looking in other directions. Or looking gripped. I've done it myself, looking gripped at the preacher. When I was a boy, my father used to say, preachers say, your boy really listens to the word. What they didn't know, I was thinking about the football and things like, you know, how on earth did England lose to Ireland yesterday at rugby? Well, we won't go into that. But, uh... So, if we're to understand these parables, you need two things, all right? If you really want to listen this morning and say, I'd really like to know what this is about. And let me tell you, it's the most important message in the whole world. Right? If you really want to understand, you need two things. You need God to explain what it means to you. You'll never work it out on your own. Because the Bible says our minds are spiritually darkened. You need divine help if you're to be let in on the secret. Like those disciples, we'll never understand the parables unaided. But, if we come and ask God, he will help us. Notice at the end of this passage, right at the end there, look at verse 33, the end of this section, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. The crowds got the stories, the disciples got the explanation, and we need the explanation. We need God's help. But, we also need to make some effort on our own part. We need to listen carefully. The key, the key word in these verses is the word hear. Don't count it now, but take my word for it. The word hear, the verb hear, is mentioned 13 times in these verses. And the challenge Jesus leaves, as when he's spoken, the challenge he leaves is this. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, it's obvious we've all got ears to hear. But what Jesus means is, everyone's got ears, but not everybody hears properly. And the first parable, the fundamental parable, is all about hearing. So let me deal with these three parables that are mentioned here. First of all, the importance of the soil. What's called the parable of the sower. Jesus describes a typical scene of a farmer in those days going out, scattering seed in his field. Maybe, many people think Jesus was sitting in the boat, you know, on the edge of Galilee, if you've been to Israel, and he's looking out in the distance and he sees in the field a man sowing. And it prompts him to tell this story. However, the key feature is not the sower or the seed, 
which remain the same throughout, but the different kinds of soil or ground that the seed falls on. On the path, on rocky ground, among thorns, or on good soil. In fact, very interesting, the story actually begins, it says, Jesus, the crowd gathered round him, verse 1, was so large, the people got into a boat, sat in it, uh, he got into a boat, sat in, in it, out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. The literal Greek says, by the sea, on the ground. The people were sitting on the soil, and Jesus is saying to them, listen, what you're sitting on is like what you are. What kind of soil are you? It's the kind of thing that happened in those days. In those days, what they did with sowing was they brought what was called broadcasting the seed. They just scatter it everywhere, and then they came along and ploughed it in afterwards. Now, if you actually just read this story, many of us who grew up in church, we know the explanation. But if you'd only heard it for the first time, you'd just think, well, it's an interesting story, but everybody knows that. I mean, you know, we've all seen farmers at work. We all know what happens. You wouldn't understand unless Jesus, in verse 13, says to them, don't you understand this parable? Didn't you get what I was actually talking about? I wasn't actually talking about sowing and seeds. I was talking about something far more fundamental. And this parable is basic to the rest because it's about how you hear, how you respond to the message of Jesus. The different kinds of responses. And Jesus describes four typical responses when people hear the good news. Still the same today. The first is what you could call the superficial response. It's a person who hears what is being said, but the information goes in one ear and out the other. It doesn't produce any lasting change. But what is really interesting here is that Jesus says there's actually something else going on. Whenever Jesus' word is spoken or explained or preached in a church or personally or whatever it might be, Jesus says there's an interesting dynamic going on that you wouldn't notice. He says that Satan, the evil adversary that Jesus himself encountered in his temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of of this story that we read together, he says Satan is active in the minds of people whenever the message is proclaimed and what his activity is, is to snatch the seed away before it can germinate, like a bird snatching away the seed from the hard ground made on a path through a field. You've all seen fields where people have walked through the path. I know you're not supposed to, you're supposed to walk around the edge, but it's hard pressed down, isn't it? Now here's a very interesting thought I'll leave with you. Even as I'm speaking this morning, trying to explain to you what it means to follow Christ, in a church like this, Satan is active. Some of you are hearing the message. Maybe you've never been to church before. That's a long time, I don't know. And you're hearing this message, and it's sort of lying on the surface of your mind. And there is an adversary, a spiritual adversary, who as soon as it goes in, he snatches it away quickly before it can take any root in your life and produce any lasting change. Then he says there's the short-term response. People who hear the good news about Jesus accept it immediately and gladly. You sometimes see that in church where people hear the first time and they just embrace it and say, wow, why has nobody ever told me about this before? This is fantastic. But Jesus said, like seeds sown into soil that's only a thin topsoil and underneath is rocky limestone, the foundations of their faith have no real root. And all it takes is some difficulty to come into their lives, some opposition to their faith and they give up. 
most of us can think of people like that. If you've been around in church life, you'll sadly know people who came in, stayed for a time, and then something happened. Suddenly, as quickly as they'd come, they disappeared. There's another kind of response, what you could call the stifle response. Jesus says some people respond to the message, they seem to be growing in their faith, but then other things come in that crowd out their commitment, their allegiance to Christ. He says they're, they're of two kinds. There's adversity, like thorns, the worries of this life, or prosperity, the deceitfulness of wealth. Again, those things happen today. People seem to be committed to Christ, but then suddenly their career takes first place. Making money takes first place. It's a big challenge. That's why Jesus so often spoke about money and riches. He said it's very hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Not impossible, it's very hard. Because it's such an illusory thing that you think, if I only have this, this will be the answer to all my problems. I'm going to set my heart on making a fortune. And you can't do that. Jesus says you can't do both. You can't serve God and money. And there are adversaries. There are worries of this life that crowd in and stifle your faith. Now in all these three cases, there is nothing long term to show. In contrast, Jesus says there is a successful response. The seed sown on good soil, those are people who hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, 30, 60, even a hundred times. Now in those days, even a tenfold response was a pretty good response for, for a harvest. A tenfold result. This is nothing short of miraculous. Now, four different outcomes. Same seed, same message, same sower, four totally different responses. And in every congregation, you will see the same kind of responses today. All here the same, but respond differently. Now, the challenge to each of us is to take a soil test and ask yourself, what sort of person am I? What's my response like? Now, the only proof is not what you profess, not even whether you're here in Charlotte Chapel every week, never miss a Sunday, not whether you sing the songs, go through the motions. The only proof is a changed life. Jesus himself said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Hearing is the most fundamental thing of all. If you don't hear properly, then all the other parables are a waste of time. Again, David Garland, the commentary I mentioned, comments, the parable does not tell us how to become good earth, only to be careful how we hear. Now, the second puzzling parable is also about sowing and growth, and here the focus is somewhat different. This is the one that's mentioned uh, later on in verses 26 to 29. This one focuses on what I would call the inevitability of the harvest. Now this one, we don't have an explanation written anywhere in the Gospels from Jesus to tell us exactly what he meant when he spoke this. In our own New International Version, this translation of the Bible, it's called the parable of the growing seed. Other people have suggested other titles that stress growth. The seed growing secretly. The seed growing by itself. The seed growing gradually. Others highlight the activity of the person doing the sowing. The patient husbandman. The confident sower, or in complete contradiction, the unbelieving farmer. However, if you read it carefully, what this parable is all about, what the emphasis is about, is not on the farmer's activity. No, no, says Jesus, he sows the seed and then he goes to bed and he gets up and the weather goes and, you know, it's sunny and rainy and things go, the weeks go by. 
It grows all by itself, verse 28. The word in Greek is automatically, the word we get automatically from. The soil produces corn, and all that is necessary at the end is that the farmer puts in his sickle and reaps the harvest. So the emphasis here is not primarily on what we do, but on what God does. He makes things grow. He fulfills his plan. Or his word. The prophet Isaiah puts this beautifully in in one of his wonderful prophecies in Isaiah 55. Uh, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, if you just had the power of the sower, you'd think it's all about us and our response. That's how the kingdom of God grows. But this reminds us, counterbalances that by saying that God ultimately will bring in his kingdom in his way and his time. This would have been a great encouragement to the disciples as the crowds began to drift away. When Mark wrote this gospel, probably 20 years after the event, it would be a great encouragement to the followers of Jesus. And at times we can begin to think that the progress of God's kingdom is very slow or it's stopped or as someone put it somewhat irreverently, the Holy Spirit seems to have taken a holiday. Nothing seems to be happening. Christians and churches just seem to be going about their everyday business, getting up, maybe rarely, and sleeping often. But God is at work, working his purpose out. And he says here, the final harvest is inevitable. The last verse there, in the passage there, where it says, as soon as the grain is ripe, verse 29, he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. It's probably a quote from the prophet Joel, from the Old Testament. It's about judgment. Joel is saying, in the end, no matter what seems to be happening with powers and superpowers and nations and kingdoms, in the end, God fulfills his plan and one day there's going to come a great harvest of judgment. Final judgment is certain. And the person who hears and understands this parable says, no matter what appearances may be, I'm going to keep going because I believe that God is working out his purposes in our world, in our society, no matter what other people may think. David Garland again, God's purposes will be fulfilled in God's way and God entrusts the secret to those purposes only to those who are willing to trust him despite unpromising appearances. This leads then to the third and final parable that's called the parable of the mustard seed. And here the stress is on the insignificance of the seed. It's a fairly obvious point that Jesus is making here. That God's kingdom begins in a very small and insignificant way. Like a tiny mustard seed, but eventually it grows into something larger. A mustard tree or strictly shrub grew to about two or three metres high from a tiny seed. It's a contrast between small beginnings and large results. And again, this was an encouragement to the disciples of Jesus. You see, people were expecting God's kingdom to burst on the scene. A great show of pyrotechnics. But it began in such a small and insignificant way. And nothing seemed to happen for years. When Mark wrote this gospel, as I said, years later, things didn't look much more promising. But Jesus says, don't be taken in by appearances. God's kingdom will grow and expand. In the parable, strictly, the kingdom of God is not compared to a mustard seed, but what happens to a mustard seed. It's placed in the ground, it buries, it's buried, 
disappears from sight, but eventually something begins to spring up from it and it produces a large plant. It's talking about the kingdom of God and how it grows. But I think it's also talking about the king. Just as the kingdom of God was what, not what everybody expected in those days, so the king wasn't. They thought the Messiah would come on a big white horse, you know, and sort out the Romans and a big military show. But Jesus was a small and insignificant person. He came from Nazareth and everybody said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? To all appearances, things would get worse. As we read this gospel together, God willing, over these weeks and months, we'll see Jesus heading to the cross. And to the amazement of the disciples, Jesus doesn't step in, even at the last minute, nothing happens. He is killed, crucified, buried in the ground, and it seems like it's all finished. But you see, Jesus said himself, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds, speaking about himself. Through the death of Jesus comes a great harvest. Today, in almost every nation, well, certainly every nation in the world, there are those who follow Jesus. A large plant, he says, in which the birds of the air can rest. Again, it's probably a reference back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, to Ezekiel and Daniel, speaking about the Gentile peoples and nations of the world, people like us, coming into God's kingdom, finding shelter and salvation. And God's kingdom continues to grow in the same way today. We're not into big shows, into powerful demonstrations. God's kingdom continues to grow in small and insignificant ways, and through insignificant people like you and me. People who are prepared, as our verse of the year says, to take up our cross, deny ourselves, to follow Christ. And out of that unpromising beginning, God can make you fruitful and useful and help you to lead others into his kingdom. Well, we're almost at the end, but we've omitted verses 21 to 25, if you've got your Bible in front of you. Some people think these are two kind of mini parables about a lamp, and about a measure, how you measure things out, the scoop, if you like, or whatever measuring jug you have. The verses about the lamp, Jesus says, reminds them that whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, verse 22. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. The stress here is on the importance of seeing, visibility. Jesus says the kingdom of God, at the moment hidden away, obscure to most people, one day, it will be revealed to all people. Again, there's great prophecies in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah again, Isaiah 11, that wonderful picture, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. However, I think it may mean something more. If you look at verse 30, where it says, uh, it is like, uh, sorry, uh, verse 20, let's get the right verse here, verse 21, it says, do you bring in a lamp? Literally, it says in the original, does the lamp come? Many people think it's an actual reference to Jesus. Does Jesus come? The lamp, the light of the world. Yes, he comes. And one day, everyone will recognize who he is. At the moment, he's hidden away. But God's plan is that one day, every eye will see him. Book of Revelation, first chapter, last book of the Bible, speaking in the future, says, one day everyone will see who Jesus really is. And tragically, for some it will be too late. All the nations of the earth will look on him whom they pierced and will mourn. So, how can you understand this now? Jesus tells the disciples in the next verses, look again at verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. 
with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. The measure, again, is about hearing. The importance of hearing. Jesus says, those who listen carefully, who seek God's truth, they'll get more truth, more light. Their hearing will improve. But those who don't pay attention will become more and more deaf to God's word and what God is saying to them. Now again, tragically, you see this in church life. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you've heard the Christian message over a long period. I'm speaking from my own experience. I can still remember as a teenager. And at times you hear God's word and it moves you and you think, I I need to respond. I need to do something. But you say, not now, I'll just leave it for the moment. Is it not true that the next time it's a bit easier to say no? And some of us reach the point where even this morning in this church you can hear the good news about Jesus. You're not a Christian. It just goes right over your head and it doesn't move you in the slightest. See, that's the warning of Jesus' word. But some of you have responded to God's word. And he's starting to take it in. He's saying, wow, I never knew there was all this truth in God's word. I need to read more. I need to find out more. And it's so exciting. And you think, this is a growing relationship. It's fantastic. Two people, exactly the same message, hearing the same message in the same place, the same PowerPoint and everything else. Yet radically different responses. So we've come back full circle to the effects of the parables. Those who listen carefully, get in the kingdom. In on the secret. Find out more. To the rest, the parables are stories, nothing more. They see, but they never perceive. They hear, but they never understand. They never repent. They never find the forgiveness Jesus offers. And the challenge I'll leave with you this morning is, which are you? Let me finish myself with a final illustration and I hope you remember what it illustrates when you're in this situation next time. Because most of you have been in the situation I'm going to describe. You're sitting on a plane, alright? You've been checked in and you sit in the plane and they start at the engines and before it starts, the voice comes over the tenor and says, this is your pilot speaking, you're about to receive some very important instructions and I'd be most grateful if you'd heard all this before, you know, if you'd pay attention because this plane may be different from other planes that you've flown on. Now, would you please pay attention and watch the cabin crew as they demonstrate and they've even got pictures now, the old PowerPoint, you know. You've been there, haven't you? You look around your fellow passengers and there's a guy still working on his PC. Doesn't pay a blind bit of attention. No, is it all. There's someone talking to his neighbour and this poor stewardess waving her arms and pointing out the directions and what to do when the oxygen mask falls down, you know. No attention to... There's a guy over there. He's got one of those black blind things over his eyes, you know. He's not... He's asleep. And there's one or two people, first time flyers, listening with rapt attention. But... And I've often thought about this in midair when you hit a bit of turbulence. Supposing suddenly in mid-flight the pilot says, I'm sorry, there's an emergency and we have to make an emergency landing and the plane immediately goes down and bang, it crashes on the ground. Some people who didn't pay attention weren't in the proper brace position 
bash their heads and are injured. Others don't know what to do with the oxygen mask that guns up of their heads because they're so confused. And others can't remember where the emergency exits are. Just a few escape alive and uninjured. Now, in the ensuing inquiry, who is to blame for the injuries and deaths caused by these factors? Was it the fault of the cabin crew? Or the message? Or the PowerPoint slides weren't they smart enough, you know? No. It was the hearers who didn't pay attention. Now you say to me, as I think often myself, I must be absolutely honest. I don't pay attention to the emergency instructions because I don't think the plane's very likely to crash and if it does, I don't think anybody's going to get alive any, out alive anyway. But with the message of Jesus, there is no such uncertainty. Jesus says a day of judgment is coming. He offers a way of escape. The good news of the gospel. Repent. Whether you're saved or not, when you stand before God, will not depend on how good an orator I was or anybody else, or how clear the PowerPoint presentation was. Ultimately, the responsibility lies with you, the hearer. That is why Jesus says again and again and again, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's do that. Let's pray together.